Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. This is my conversation with Oliver Kay about his fantastic book Forever Young, the story of Adrian Doherty, football's lost genius. I think this is the longest episode we've ever produced, but I just felt there was so much stuff to cover with Ollie that I really wanted to do the book justice. If you've read the book, then I think you'll really, really enjoy this. And if you haven't read it, then I hope it encourages you to pick it up. Enjoy. So, Ollie, I want to take you back to when you first heard about the story of Adrian Doherty. I believe you were researching an article for Giggs's 20th anniversary, is that right? Yeah, which gives you some idea of how long ago it was or how long it <laughs> was between um, between stumbling upon the idea and, and publication. Because, um, yeah, that was early 2011, which, as you said, was, was Ryan Giggs's... You know, it's coming out to 20 years since Ryan Giggs's debut for Manchester United. The book came out in mid 2016, so nearly five and a half years later. And what happened basically was, you know, I was, I was speaking to ex-youth team teammates um, of Ryan Giggs, not the kind of class of 92 that he's always associated with, but those who were playing alongside him when he when he was a 16-year-old in the youth team in 1990, 91. So I, I, I was you know, speaking to people like Mark Bosnich, uh, who obviously went on to play for Villa and United and Chelsea, uh, guys like Alan Tong, who's who... You know, didn't make it in terms of Man United, but had a good, you know, lower league career. And I was saying to them, you know, so at 16, was he just head and shoulders above everybody else? And they, they both really said the same thing. They both said, well, there's this, there was this guy, Adrian Doherty, you know, are you aware of him? And I was loosely aware of the name because I've got that kind of weird, ainly retentive memory. It was, uh, but no, I, I didn't know anything about what had happened to him or, or how good he'd been or the story and you know I think Alan was who said to me well the doc was as good as Giggsy at 16 if not better he was completely off the wall character he was you know played guitar and you know worshipped Bob Dylan then he did his knee injury didn't recover retired from football and um Nothing was ahead of, of him again until um, you know, sadly he died. What would it be, you know, nearly nearly ten years later at the age of twenty six? And from that moment, really, I was just thinking, oh my god, that just sounds like the most incredible story. Why why has nobody told that story before? Why do I not know it? You know, I googled it, and there was almost nothing on the entire internet at the time in twenty eleven, apart from a sort of online tribute to him by one of his former coaches in in Ireland, who had said, you know. He, who basically had this, these two newspaper clippings, one from 1990 saying that he was on the verge of his Manchester United debut as a 16-year-old, saying that he was being tipped to make an impact not seen since George Best, and the, the next was 10 years later saying um, that, uh, yeah, sadly he died in, in Holland, and um, I just was immediately, utterly captivated by this and thought, yeah. I, I need to know more about this, I need to start doing some serious digging, because as interesting as Ryan Giggs is, 
20th anniversary was, you know, this this suddenly set me off on a completely different journey. You know, that, that moment when you discover that this is a story that's largely undocumented, you know, that must be the point when the pulse starts racing. You know, when you as a writer discover that you have this, like, virgin territory almost to explore, you know. But, but I think, we'll, we'll go on to this in a bit more, but for me the key to the book is this, the discovery not just of the scale of the talent, but almost like the depth of the character. When you start to realise how a unique individual this is, then is that the moment? Is it when you put these kind of two pieces together of the talent and the character, do you start to think at that point, this is a book? Yeah, because I mean, I, I went over to Straban in, in County Tyrone to, to meet his um, his family and, and you know, they, they said, well, look, Look, we'd love to meet you, and you know, for you to come over, and and we can talk to you about Adrian. But we don't think we want to do a, a newspaper article, and or we don't, you know, they, they didn't want to do a book or a newspaper article or whatever. And I thought, well, you know what, I'll I'll go over there and I'll 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 sweet talk them into it. And um, <laughs> so I I I did go over, and, and I, you know, this was very much with a view to, you know, writing a newspaper article in, in the times where i was at the time as i was there with them that day and you know i spent i spent hours with them and, and uh, they were talking about his personality so i i'd gone there with with sort of a preconception of this being a story about um you know an extreme talent that you've never heard of that didn't make it and then i was there and they were telling me all this stuff about his his various escapades and going busking in the city center and you know getting ridiculed by his teammates for wearing you know secondhand clothes you know buying his clothes from charity shop rather than from um well it's probably top man at the time where the other where the others bought their clothes but um you know going busking and and in the city center and this you know writing his own songs and they produce this sort of folder full of um poems and, and songs that he's written and i'm just thinking oh my god this is this is Incredible, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, shivers, shivers going down my spine, and then they're tell, t- telling me about him going off to America, you know, almost at the drop of a hat. Uh, one season had finished, and he, he had an injured knee at the time, and he, he just decided, spur of the moment, really, to 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 go to America and get, go to New York and try and you know get signed up as a you know as a Manchester United footballer, trying to get a record deal, playing in Greenwich Village and all this kind of thing. And I'm just thinking, this is unbelievable all of this this is you know if if they do agree to a me doing a, a newspaper article about about him i'm going to struggle to get this into 1500 words in the, in the in the times i might get up to 1600 but it's gonna be very hard to tell this story you know i, I left there that day and think, thinking i have to persuade them ultimately to to do something because there's a this would be a fascinating book the story certainly fascinated me and captivated me so much that i felt desperate to, to write that book and i really had to wait until they were ready to to do it and and um but you know that that just set me off on a journey where i was just sort of ringing everybody and anybody and everybody I, I could think of really to try and get an insight on on this guy did you ever write that article for the times or did you keep your powder dry and just say you know that this needs a bigger palette and and kind of holding off to try and persuade the family to do the book probably on the on the flight home that day you know flight home from belfast i was writing something with, with a view to trying to persuade them that look, look you you know, we could do this article, but no, it, it never, it never saw the light of day because they, they didn't want to do a, a newspaper article. Their, their view was that you know you could do a newspaper article and it would be you know here today, gone tomorrow type thing, and and uh, you know although it would live on online, um, 
I think I think their view was the correct one, really. And you know, at that point, they didn't want to write a you know they didn't want a book either. But I think over time, they they decided that maybe another year or two went by, and you know, Adrian's memory was perhaps being sort of feeling more and more distant in terms not not for them, but 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 for everybody else and people in Straban and people in Manchester and so on. And I think they got to the point where they just thought, well, let's go with this idea. That, you know, what, you know, maybe, maybe it would be a the best way in terms of um, preserving his his memory and letting his story be known by a lot more people. So did you just keep in touch with the family then and just say, look, this is a story that I would like to tell in book form and when you're ready, get in touch? Or like, you know, how, how, did, how did it make the leap from... I played the long game really with them and, yeah. I, and I got, you know, I got on very well with them. They're lovely people and, and um, you know, Jimmy, Adrian's father, you know, introduced me to a lot of people who, who were keen to share their memories of him as well even though at that time it was feeling like a kind of recreational pursuit that might never see the light of day um i I was always quite confident that ultimately they would come around to the idea of either an article or a book and my my day job is is, as a journalist and had they been willing to do a newspaper article that's that's what would have appeared first but they they didn't want to do a a newspaper article i think they realized there would be something a bit more sort of pure and more enduring in terms of um of doing a book, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that they did. It's, it's the, the, the best um, professionally. It's the, be, you know, the best and most important thing I've, I've done. The thing I'm proudest of, really. How long was the long game? I mean, between that first meeting with the family and then deciding to to write a book, and then you know, the book came, being commissioned. Like, how, how long was it? Two years or two and a bit years, maybe between between meeting them and and then them them coming around to the idea. And then I think you know part of the problem. I mean, I I did some work on it in the summer of 2013. A couple of weeks off, I had that summer, and, and I you know, I worked I worked on you know spoke to a few people then with a, with a view to getting this book out. But you know this, so I then spoke to a publisher, and, and they said, well, could you do something for, could you produce something in the summer of 2014? And I said, well, there's absolutely no chance, really, because there was the World Cup, and you know I was going to be you know I was going to be away for seven weeks there and then and I so I, I needed to sort of create a, a slot far into the future really where um where I would deliver it in late 2015 or early 2016 and I, you know I, I needed a whole kind of quiet summer really working on it which was the yeah. summer of 2015 so it was it was a very long process you know just the number of people I needed to speak to for it I think I think I did something like 100 interviews for it and speaking to not just people he knew through football but people growing up in Straban and people he then met in Preston in his various guitar groups and working in a factory with them and, and then people he met in Galway and, and um, a lot of whom didn't know the slightest thing about his sort of backstory. So it was, yeah, it was it felt like a, a really big undertaking, really. I want to talk a bit about the research in a minute, but I'd like to kind of start at the start and there's this kind of wonderful opening scene, which is match day at Old Trafford and, you know, the fans are all pouring towards the stadium and... and you know, you you portray a small figure shuffling in the opposite direction uh, towards Manchester City Centre. And just to quote from from the book, you say, as inconspicuous as he might look, pale, slight, scruffy, dressed in what looks suspiciously like second-hand clothes, the busker is not a complete unknown. Far from it, in fact. Adrian Doherty is a Manchester United footballer of outstanding promise. Now, it's just a wonderful scene because you have, you know, this um, sea of humanity flowing towards Old Trafford and then this guy heading in the other direction when, you know, you'd far, far more expect him to be there and taking in the first team game. Was that 
always going to be your way into the book? Did you have to think long and hard about that, or was that a kind of obvious way to start it? Where you you set up this fascinating contrast between the obsessives and the guy who should be an obsessive but is actually obsessing about something else? You know, his, his music and and his other life. I don't want to, I don't want to really kind of sound like I'm talking up the <laughs> talking up the creative process, and but but. Um, it came to me. It came to me one night when I was. I think we were. I think we were watching TV in bed, and I, and I was probably had half an eye on it, and I was thinking about thinking about this, and I, I always wanted to do that. That you know that scene of him busking being the opening sort of the, the introduction to to the character. You know the the footballer who busked, and one of his you know, one of his teammates had, had, had said this thing about him, him sort of hanging around outside the outside the stadium with his tickets and giving them away and going off with his guitar getting on the bus and, and I I suddenly just thought that is the way in that, that's the that's the way in and they talked about him singing um, uh, Like a Rolling Stone and that was one of his you know one of many Dylan songs he he sang and that seemed to fit beautifully because it, you know it's the kind of you know it's about like a kind of you know a fall from grace it's about um, it's about sort of Somebody who goes from having everything to being a sort of misfit in society and and kind of relishing that that um, that sort of underdog hobo kind of <laughs> status, um, which um, that so it felt like everything kind of fell into place with that. So that was that was how I yeah. It, it, so it starts with him being outside the stadium and then him giving his tickets away and getting on the bus just as all the fans are getting off it and um, and then going into city centre and busking and as I was writing it it felt like it felt like a sort of screenplay type thing and I, I was hoping hoping somebody would one, one day do that but <laughs> they haven't they haven't done there was a, there was a few expressions of interest but um, yeah it, 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 it seemed to everything sort of fitted together very nicely in terms of that it's a very visual opening you're right about that and you could almost see it working in, in film format I mean you're obviously interested in the idea of lost talents now you know I read an article uh, an interview with Michael Johnson that he did quite recently and there was the uh, the Arsenal guys at Paul, Paul, Vass, Paul Vasson um, really interesting um, stories but but very different to Doherty's in the sense of this is just a great story about an interesting life and I think that's what that opening does it, it sets it up for I mean I can imagine someone who's who's not actually interested in football reading this because it's just the story of a very interesting human life and I guess that's what you're doing when you set out your stall in that way in that opening scene that, that it just it just says here's an interesting person you're going to enjoy this journey for example my, you know, my, my, my mother-in-law who's um, certainly not interested in football no, she she um, she read it and, and and enjoyed it and and often yeah. tells me so you know about about, about how um, how she she thought she would have no interest in and and she sort of ended up feeling very um, sort of uh, sort of besotted with and, and protective of this character that that you know I think I think yeah I think a very sort of warm sympathetic character really um, yeah I, I think I think a lot of people who. Yeah, I've had I've had a lot of people who don't have an interest in football who have who have enjoyed it. I don't I know I don't think it's it's there's there's probably a lot in there for for the the football obsessive and the, and the Manchester United obsessive. But I think there's a lot there's probably enough of life outside and, and music as well, and um, that it's more about it's more about the character and the you know the the person that Adrian was. 
Yeah, it's interesting. When I first read it, actually, I think I was I, w- I was really interested in the the, the, the football side of it because I'm really interested in in these type of stories as well. But I think rereading it again recently for for this interview, I think you know in the intervening years I, I've I've become a parent. And you actually, you kind of see it from a, a parental point of view, and, I, and you know, t- towards the end, I could really feel his family's pain. It, it's interesting you talk about your mother-in-law. She, she's kind of, she had th- these emotions towards this, this character. So there's so much in it for for different people, I guess. On top of that, I think, I mean, it's it's it sort of covers three really interesting sort of times and places. I mean, in, in that you've got Straban, which is you know on, on the on the. Irish border, you know, um, during the Troubles, sort of in the 70s, when he was, he was born in 1973 and grew up with, with, I'm not saying bombs going off every day or anything like that, it wasn't every day, but but there was, you know, but, but Straban and, and Derry were, were, you know, were, were focal points of, of the Troubles and, and you, know, there was, you know, there were soldiers patrolling the streets often and, and you know, checking out people's houses and searching people's houses, you know, so grew up in that time. And then he went to Manchester and it's it sort of late late 80s, early 90s, although, I mean, it wasn't his scene, the Hacienda and all that, but, but he's sort of part of that, not just that, 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 that time in Manchester, but that time at Manchester United where there was just that sort of huge, you know, dawn of an empire under, under Sir Alex Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, as he was then. And then ends up in, you know, even if I, if I skip Preston, you know, ends up in, in Galway at a time when, you know, a lot of people were, you know, from all over Europe were being attracted to Ireland, you know, with, with freedom of movement and the Celtic Tiger kind of, kind of boom. And, you know, he was friends with a lot of people from, you know, German friends and French friends who, who had, lots of different people who had gravitated towards that art scene in in. Galway, like the same as he had, and it's it's also yeah. Apart from the the character and, and the the football career he had, I think just those three periods are three really interesting time. You know, snapshots yeah. of of uh, you know the British Isles over that uh, over that period. And I've said I've said to people a few times really that if you were if you were trying to if you were wanting to write a novel about a a sort of a footballer and um, and you wanted to sort of set him in, in, in the real world I think you would probably you know you, if you were going to set him in, in, in the distant past you would probably think well okay let's make him a bit different and let's put him in Manchester United's sort of class of I mean not the class of 92 but, but let, let's put him alongside Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes and Gary Neville and David Beckham and let's put him in that environment with Sir Alex Ferguson the manager who Loved his talent, but didn't really understand him as a, as a guy. Let's let's make him let's make him Irish like George Best. Let's make him um, let's let's make him a guitar playing poet, poetry writing. Um, you know, it, it's there were there were times when uncovering his story, and I just felt this is kind of almost too good to be true because it's yeah. it's the character is so kind of perfectly different to everybody else. And a few people have said to me. Oh, there must be thousands of stories like this. And I think, well, in terms of somebody who was like absolutely extreme talent, you know, Ryan Giggs saying that yeah, yeah he, he yeah. was as good as me, he was better than me at 16. You know, Gary Neville saying the same, all the all the all the reports from the Times say that. And in terms of being an extreme personality and being the opposite of that kind of Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville type football obsessive archetype, it's 
I think that you know that I think you know and being into music and and Bob Dylan and and theological things philosophical things as well rather than being into you know fast cars and chasing women and, and etc it, it's just such a it felt like it was almost perfect in terms of yeah. his personality but the the, the, the the element that isn't perfect is is that his his career and his life just you know didn't didn't follow the the path everybody would have hoped so, so let's focus on the talent alone for for a while and the second section of the book is is kind of the ultimate testimony to his talent because it's quite an extended section with Ryan Giggs um, and talking about Doherty I'll I'll, I'll quote from the book here he said I had never seen anything like him before he was the quickest I'd ever seen and he was so brave as well he was a freak he was incredible he was definitely at the same level as me he was definitely on the brink of making his first team debut he definitely had the talent my guess is that mentality wise it would have been no problem for him so it's really interesting because you know this idea of you know the, the lost talent theme is it's almost like a subgenre of sports writing in a, in a way but i think for me you know that the, the bar has to be high to give that to give that story real authenticity and you know we talked a little bit about the the, the hinterland that that, that Docker, Docker has and i think that's really really important right but i think the scale of the talent is really important as well. Now, just to pick up on something you said here, because it's really interesting that I was going through the, the article that, that you wrote a couple of weeks ago, actually, for The, the Athletic on, on Doherty, and I was reading through the comment section, and this is a, this is a comment um, somebody's written. It says, It does make you wonder, though, how many Adrian Doherty's are out there, potentially thousands of players who could have been the next big thing, but disappear into obscurity. And I just disagree with that so much because th- this guy wasn't the best player in your school. He wasn't the best player in your district. He wasn't even the best player in the country. This was a generational talent. And and the testimonies from guys who were generational talents themselves bear that out. And I think, I don't know if, if you saw that as almost like a hurdle that you had to go over. That's not who he was. He wasn't one of those thousands of guys, you know, that, that we played with and, you know, we all played with and were really good players, but that, you know, you know liked a pint. This guy was was Ryan Giggs, that it was it was generational. So I guess my question is, you know, by putting Giggs at the front as well and putting this glowing testimony, w- were you trying to go over that hurdle for people to say, no, no, this guy was an exception? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and um, I mean, I, I spoke to Ryan Giggs fairly late in the, in the process. Um, so that was, there was a point where, I, I can't remember who else I was going to, Introduced at that point, that, that sort of second section, of, um, that second section of the introduction. But it was, but yeah, I spoke to Giggs fairly late on, and I wasn't, I wasn't confident that I would persuade him to, to talk about Adrian because he he'd never done so before. But it was, yeah. So I, I think to have those names talking in those terms about him was really important. And and you know, I did a piece recently about Michael Johnson who was at Manchester City and um, I wrote that for The Athletic and I interviewed him and look, he was a re- he was a real top talent in terms of you know broke into the Premier League at 18 and and um, everybody was saying well this guy's going to play for England and Didier Mann was saying you know he was as good as Stephen Gerrard at the same age which you know that is that is, these are really this is really high praise and it's but I think possibly with Manchester United there are so many players who Everybody talks about outside of the ones who did make it. So you've got Ben Thornley, who was a really, really good talent and played a few games for United's first team and then 
did his cruise ship as well and, and ended up having a, you know, a decent career, but not anything like the career he would have done before. You know, there's people like Lee Sharp who had you know, a really, really good career, played for England, played, you know, won, won the Premier League, but, but didn't have the career that he potentially would have done. There's a guy I spoke to for the book, Giuliano Majorana, who who um, was a, a little bit older than Adrian, but he um, you know he he had a handful of games and looked really really good. There's a you know I remember him growing up and and um, and he did his knee as well. The thing that was with Adrian was that not only was he like regarded as good a raw talent as Giggs and was regarded equivalent to Giggs at 16-17, but that sort of 20 years on nobody had heard of him like his story had you know his story had been completely forgotten and to, to use an example I I tried to do um, you know when when the when the book was coming out the publisher said oh the, we've noticed there's no Wikipedia for, page for him could, could we do could we do a, a Wikipedia page for him you, do you know how to do it and I said no, well, no I don't but I'll, I'll I'll try and do it and so I I tried to set up a Wikipedia page and um, and I got an e- email or message straight back from Wikipedia saying no this 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 person does not meet our criteria for a notable person because he never he never played a, a full match in a in a professional league which is you know which is a fully professional league which is, which is true so because you know, he never played for Manchester United at all he never really got mentioned Apart from by you know a handful of you know, Manchester United youth team obsessives on on message boards saying does anybody remember Adrian Doherty? So not only are you talking about an extreme talent at sixteen seventeen who was let's say one of the best in his top three in his age group in Britain at the time. I think I think you could really very very safely say that. I think some people say he would have been you know the top one or, or equal top with with gigs at the time. You go from that to basically leaving no footprint whatsoever in in professional football and and being completely forgotten really until the, until the book came out and it's it's um I think that is an extreme drift into obs- obscurity and um, yeah it's not you know it's not that you know I think every club every every Premier League club you know you speak to them about about players who've come through their academy they'll say you know they might pick out a player every five years who they think well that one was going to be a first team player and and didn't make it because of injury or because of attitude or or, you know bad luck or or whatever but this is a player who technically was good enough to to be anything he wanted to be and ended up not making any impact whatsoever on professional football I think I think that the tragedy and the drama comes from that sort of sliding doors effect. You know, I mean, for for anyone who's listening that's not read the book, Doherty's earmarked to make his debut against Everton, and then the week before he he wrecks his knee against Carlisle, and uh, the Carlisle reserves, I think it is, he's playing in a reserve match. So so it's not like twelve months hence he might have been given ten minutes as a substitute. This guy moves right on the brink. I mean, he's seven days, which I, I guess that adds to the the, the, the drama and the, the the sense of tragedy as well, doesn't it? That he's so close. Yeah, you've reminded me actually that that before I'd really kind of uncovered the whole thing of, of, of his character, that the the sort of sliding doors element with 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 Ryan Giggs was what I thought was probably the best sort of peg for yeah. you know for it, and and I ended up sort of finding out so much about his character that I thought, well, that's. A, 
it's almost like a secondary element that you know I don't want it to be this guy could have been Ryan Giggs because the reality is that he was totally different as a as a character to Ryan Giggs and perhaps even if you know if the situations had been reversed if if, if Giggs had got injured that week I think Giggs would have insisted on playing on at whatever level you, you know even if they'd made a terrible mess of his knee I think he would have he would have been playing for for you know Salford City or or, or, or you know or, or playing you know, he, he would have he would have been desperate to make absolutely anything of of his career and I think Adrian was desperate initially to get back from the, the injury but then just sort of fell into a you know well not fell into but but found you know a different a different way of life and and um and embraced that way of life that was completely different. And I think even if he had made his debut, that see this this is one thing I I, I always want to kind of steer people away from when when people say oh so he 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 could have had another um, career like Ryan Giggs. I would say well I don't think I don't think I don't think he would have done because I think he would have he would have played the first team. He might have made an even greater impact at first team level than Ryan Giggs. But I think the Spotlight, the scrutiny, the hype, the money, the attention—I just think he would have hated it. The you know the the demands in terms of training each you know not having any fun really, just you, you, your life revolving around football. I think he would have struggled with all of that. So I, I prefer to think that if he if he had made that made his debut and uh, at seventeen, and he would have had a fantastic impact for you know. Maybe a year or two, maybe five years, maybe six months, six weeks. Who knows? But that sooner or later, you'd have thought, you know, what, I can, I can do without, I can do without this. I, I'm, I want to just do my own thing. I do think he would have found, you know, I do think he he would have made that decision sooner or later. And that's, you know, that is one of many reasons why I like to steer people away from the idea that this is just another sort of lost talent story. I, I think it's, um, yeah different to that hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There is a point about whether someone has the mentality to, to play top flight football at all and, and thrive in that setting for, you know, whatever period. And, you know, again, that that's the thing 
going back to the lost talent, I think that's where a lot of these stories fall down. When people acknowledge those who have the talent, but then they don't acknowledge that they don't have the, the character or the mentality to do it. Because if you don't have both, then you don't have anything. You know, the talent without the, the, the mentality is nothing in terms of playing at the very, very top level. But I think this is this is the, the real complexity of the story because, you know, Doherty's ambivalence is really towards the aspects around the sports. The, for, for me, anyway, it was to do with the culture that he was involved in, you know, the dressing room culture, all that sort of stuff. But he didn't have a lack of passion or commitment towards the actual sport. I mean, he didn't not turn up for training. You know, there's a great part where he talks about, he talk about his kind of self-improvement and he used to go up the park and dribble around bottles constantly to improve himself on, on both feet. I think he declares at 15 that he wants to be the best player in the world at 21. So, you know, he loves he loves football in its purest form, but but it just wasn't the only thing in his life. Everybody who, who lines up, all these greats who line up to talk about his talent, also talk about his mentality and they say, no, we do believe that this guy could have played you know, at the at the very top level, whether he could have sustained it, like the point you're making is different. But it seems to me that he did have that mentality that he he could have played in front of sixty thousand people at Old Trafford. I mean, that, that, that's the that's the point that everybody. I mean, almost almost ahead of his talent, people say yeah. he was incredibly brave, so courageous. Would you know? Would never be daunted by anything, whether it was you know um, opposition fullbacks from Carlisle reserves or wherever. Uh, kicking him or whether it was you know a crowd or an occasion or the attention being on him or you know almost like the bigger the stage when he was growing up and playing in in, in Ireland he felt you know he thrived more the the, the more people eyes were on him there was a, a game where he played for um, you know in front of a full crowd at, at um at uh, the Brandywell in in Derry before a pre-season friendly and and um, you know that that was you know he just relished that and and um, a lot of his his sort of most celebrated performances in the youth team were at Old Trafford, so he 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 seemed to just relish that you know, that that big stage in a way that people found surprising because he seemed so shy off the pitch, and yeah everybody I think without exception says that if he had played for the first team he would have just you know, he would have coped no you know in terms of that that. 90 minute challenge um, you know a debut against Everton or whatever or, or play, you know Giggs Giggs' second appearance was against Manchester City in a Manchester derby and, and he uh, well he was credited with the goal but it was Colin Henry's own goal really but it was uh, but you know everybody said about Giggs that he didn't you know he was fearless and, and it's the same people said it even more about Adrian both at the time and, and subsequently that he was fearless he would have no difficulty whatsoever turning that talent into producing on a big stage he would be he wouldn't fear anything so on that level yeah he had absolutely the mentality he was he was courageous and brave and and would block out everything else when he was playing but i think it was it was the probably the other the other hours in a day or in a week where you would say well does he have the sort of classic footballer mentality to 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 want to to commit every moment of his life to trying to stay at the top and but that, that kind of thing is exaggerated because even somebody as great as Roy Keane, as dedicated as Roy Keane, would, you know, he was he was out drinking all the time in the, in, in the nineties anyway. And it was you know so we, so we talk about you know ultra professional etc. It's it's a it's a slightly different thing. But Adrian, I think, just had so much else in his life and was so as you said, 
ambivalent about elements of the football industry and the footballer about professional football really and that's why I that's why I've never been convinced that he would have had a Ryan Giggs type career and also I think there's probably something slightly romantic in the idea that if he had made it if he'd been young player of the year in 1992 and a Premier League title winner in 93 that he might just have gone off into the sunset in 1994 and gone off and picked up a guitar and sat in a pub in, in Galway or whatever I think I think there's there's something tantalising in that image but I do think that's kind of the way he would have gone. There's always something that really elevated the book for me when I first read it, that it was... And something I think people have to bear in mind is like that it was injury, it wasn't apathy, and it wasn't fear that stopped this guy. <laughs> you know, it was a really, really, really cruel injury. Um, and you can't bundle up the other parts of his life into an explanation of apathy because he, he, he did it. He was, he, was, he was there, he was on the verge. And everyone says he would have carried it on. Somebody like Gary Neville who would be... I don't think Gary Neville would would talk up the mentality of a player who didn't make it uh, and and talk up the player, the mentality of a player who didn't make it and was more interested in music. (laughs) And, 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 And so I think the feeling that it was sort of, despite this multi-layered character that was sort of ambivalent about elements of the of the football industry and the and the sort of professional footballer lifestyle i think yeah i, I mean he despite all of that despite ferguson's kind of lack of comprehension at, at him sort of disappearing to go busking on a saturday afternoon rather than watching the first team despite look you know being scruffy or turning up without laces in his shoes or his kit in his plastic bag or not have a tie or whatever despite all of those things ferguson was ready to give him his first team debut because he thought he was he was ready at 17 not because I mean look there was an injury crisis but he, he was relishing the prospect of giving him a, his debut at 17 um, I think he became apathetic uh, towards football after the injury I think I think once he got injured and, and felt look I'm not going to get back to the player I was going to be um, do I really want to get back to being you know a shadow of the player I was going to be I, I think I think his focus drifted after that and and, and also I, I would say his his focus wasn't the con- conventional footballer focus I think he was just an incredible raw talent with an incredible mentality when he was on the pitch who when he was off the pitch probably wasn't thinking about football so it's um but you do you do hear of players like that but i think i think he would have taken it to an extreme yeah you talk a little bit about these you know how undocumented the, the story was and you know there's a section towards the end of the book where you talk about manchester united's relationship with with a story and and how they've really struggled to come to terms with it and i mean you mentioned gigs obviously we've mentioned the nevilles uh, or gary neville and you spoke to phil neville as well when you approach these guys like how ready or and able were they to talk about Rodocity? did they did they relish it or did they take a bit of persuading to uh, to go back there there had been a dispute between manchester united and, and um, Adrian's father about the handling of the injury about the handling of, of his time there I think some of the players well I know some of the players were aware of that sort of history you know with with those players who were sort of very integral to the Manchester United family if you like you know the, the Neville brothers and, and Ryan Giggs and, and obviously Sir Alex Ferguson himself I was very very um tentative in terms of approaching him I wanted to leave them until last just because you know um, and, I, and I thought well I'm not sure these guys will 
you know, that there must be a reason why none of them have spoken about him before. That and I messaged Phil Neville and, and he said, yeah, 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 of course. And I had a really good conversation with Phil Neville and I messaged Gary Neville and he said, yeah, yeah, of course. Call me on this day. You know, Ryan Giggs the same. I mean, the the the, the, the three of them spoke so so openly and effusively, effusively and enthusiastically about him and that yeah it was uh, you know with real fondness and admiration and and you know gigs gigs especially gigs has spoken about him and, and um i think with with robbie savage uh, did a podcast recently where, where he asked um you know whether, whether he spoke about him and gigs um yeah i mean speaks about him almost with a we see he's very he sounds very emotional when he when he speaks about him but also sounds really kind of awestruck when he talks about how good this guy was and you know he was quicker than me he was braver than me he was more consistent than me and you think oh that's that that's quite quick brave and consistent then yeah at real tonker asks um rye was the doc aging doggerty a better player than him at yts level listen i shared i shared the digs um with um um the doc sadly you know no longer with us but what yeah. a player Ryan um, the doc was! No, nah, he was he was better than me. He was better than everyone. He was. Um, you would watch the game and you'd watch him go past, and you would wonder how has he done it. He was just so. He was. He was just so quick, so brave, and everything just where his brain as well was working quicker. He was an amazing talent. I mean, yeah. um, Eric used to kill me really because he was rapid as well. You know, we used to do the little doggies, the little uh, yeah. shuttle runs. He used to always pair me with a doc. And he yeah. was rapid. So, yeah. and then he would be shouting, come on, he's beating you, he's beating you, Ryan, he's beating you. know what he was like. And um, But he was an amazing talent. What a talent. And um, yeah. he had a horrific, obviously, knee injury, which curtailed his career. Um, but what a talent at 16. And, you know, then, then with Sir Alex Ferguson as, as well, he, 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 you know, I wrote to him and he, and he wrote back with, a, with, a, you know, with lovely sentiments about Adrian. And, and um, I was really, really pleased by that, not just because it, you know, it was a nice thing to put on the front, you know, quotes quotes about them on the, uh, quotes from those guys on the, on the front of the book, but because I think it was important really for Adrian's family to know that on a personal level, you know, whatever the kind of corporate dispute there had been between the family and, and, and the club, that, that there was a real admiration and sense of fondness and appreciation on a, on a personal level. I want to start to wrap things up by talking a bit about research. Um, w- when we published our first book about 10 years ago now, actually, the, the author, um, James Morgan, the book was called In Search of Alan Gozine. A Northern Irish guy, James Morgan, wrote it, and he he delved into the research <laughs> to such an extent, off the scale, the amount of research he did. I think it made for a, a, a more enduring book. I think the book has stood, stood the test of time, and I reread it. You know, recently, and I thought, yeah, there's so much in that to, to that his research really bore fruit, and I haven't had that feeling again until I read this book. It is so densely researched, uh, and I think you say, I don't know if it's in the introduction, you talk about the, the your obsession began. You use the word obsession, and I thought, you know, I, I believe that, you know, because 
I was going through it, I was writing them down, former landladies, teammates, coaches, musicians that you played with in New York, the Troubadour Club in Manchester, you travelled to Galway, you tracked down a guy called Paleface, who's an American singer-songwriter, part of the East Village in 1990, you go to a biscuit factory in Preston, uh, where he once worked, um, you actually put out a call on Radio Lancashire for anyone who, who, who knew him during this period, I mean... This must have been the, the, the research expedition to, to end all research trips. Um, tell us, take us inside that process. That must have been exhaustive. I mean, as, as a journalist, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's what you do as a, a journalist. You know, you kind of try to get every detail on a story. But, but the difference with, the, with, with Adrian is that, is that there was basically nothing out there. So I started with a convers- well, the, the conversations that I've mentioned with Alan Tong and Mark Bosnich and, and Eric Harrison, the late Eric Harrison, who, uh, who coached him at, at youth level at Manchester United. And then I needed to track down his parents and, and so was looking online and then realised that nearly everybody in that part of Ireland is called Doherty and, and um, that this wasn't going to be easy. Um, uh, so I went through the, the local parish priest there who was also called, yes, Doherty. And he put me in touch with the family. And um, so then I went to the family. They gave me the list, you know, various friends of, of Adrian's to, to speak to. But beyond that, because, because he's, you know, he'd, lived, he'd lived, you know, he'd been at home for 16 years. He'd then been in Manchester as a player for four years. So that those four years in Manchester were not the most difficult to, to research for a football journalist and who's, you know, got good contacts at... Man United and stuff like that. So I, I spoke, you know, I spoke to loads of his his teammates and people he was in digs with, and people that you know, people like Robbie Savage and Keith Gillespie, that and the Neville brothers and Ryan Giggs that people will have heard of, and and loads of people that that didn't make it. I, th- I think those guys often had the more vivid memories because those years were what they really cling on to in terms of their memories of, of their of their football career. So they had they had much more vivid memories of A team games and reserve games and life in digs, etc. And then I had the um the task of trying to uncover his life in Preston, where he was for four years and in Galway for three years, I think it was. Um and that was, you know, I was really starting with a bit of a blank canvas there because I was, you know, in terms of Galway I had basically the name and number of one of his friends and then that friend said well look I'm not in touch with many of those guys anymore but there was a guy called this there was a guy called that and I'm sort of looking up on you know googling all these names and and I think the um you know the the, the nature of Irish names where where, where <laughs> there's a lot of very common names made it made it harder um to track some people down but you know eventually eventually you know, one door would open another and I'd and you know, one person would put me in touch with another person, or at least give me a name, and I would then look them up. And I'm, I can be a bit like a dog with a bone with that kind of thing. And, and um, so, in terms of in terms of you know speaking to all the right people, yeah, it was. I, I mean, part part of it was I was just so fascinated by Adrian's story that it was just a lot of fun, and and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, I, I couldn't it, like every conversation I had with somebody who knew him would say oh I didn't know him that well um, yeah. I, might, I might not be able to help you but and then they'd be t- you know it would just sort of trigger things off for them. most of those conversations were an hour plus and there was you know there were you know, well over a hundred of them and um, then it would be transcribing them and and, <laughs> and so on which was onerous and you know and then there was the issue of 
trying to familiarize myself more with you know the troubles and, and growing up you know what it was like growing in, up in Straban and speaking to a lot of his his friends about that and his family about that and reading up on the history of the time and I mean I, I just you know it's a, it's a fascinating period in history dark period in history but but a fascinating one and you know his, his dad was was there in in, in Derry on um, on Bloody Sunday and and you know that that kind of it was all it, it was very interesting there was no, there was no, there was nothing where I was researching it and thinking God this is a bit dull do I have to do I have to find out more about him doing this you know even his time working in a chocolate factory was was fascinating to me because there was the that sense that he didn't really want to tell his his colleagues about it he wasn't really interested in telling his parent his his, his colleagues who he was and, and where he'd been before in his life he was just very vague about his um, his his past life and they they knew him as Aiden and I, and I would assume that's because he he just didn't want anybody to recognise his 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 name as Adrian Doherty the ex Manchester United footballer as he was by that stage. I mean, I, I guess it's a passion for the subject that, that that drives you to to such lengths. I mean, I guess the point I was I was making before is like you don't have to go to that you know at biscuit factory you know there's a line that you can you can stop and say i've got enough about this guy but i think because he's such a multi-layered personality and because i guess when you get to that point in your research right it must be like panning for gold because you're not going to i guess you're probably not going to find any big revelations but you're going to get little shards of insight so if you you know so in that sense that trip is worth taking you know you go to that factory because somebody will just will just give you a little morsel that you can drop in, and I guess that's the beauty of books. You can drop it in. Athletic piece is never going to stretch to to that sort of lens, but you know a book will. It, it, it gets there sometimes. It's, you know, the athletic <laughs> um, the, with with our with our blank canvas there. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, every sort of nugget of information was was valuable in terms of the in terms of the book. And there's, there's um, I mean, there is. I mean, I think. I originally read it, wrote it to something like one hundred twenty-five thousand words, which would, which was, it was too much. So that tells me, you know, somebody, somebody said, I think it was, I don't, I don't want to betray myself as a precious author who uh, obsesses about what, what people write in reviews on Amazon. But, uh, but I was reading the um, reviews on Amazon when um, when somebody said you know somebody said oh it could have been could have been 100 pages fewer or something like that or, you know it could have and I thought to myself well it could it could also have been 100 pages more and and I, you know that the, the, the version that I was happiest with initially was was would probably have been 500 pages which is too long really because it's you know it's a big thick hardback book it is 400 odd pages and and the fact that I can't really remember much of what I missed out tells you that it wasn't the end of the world to, to, to lose those those pages, but it was it was stuff about you know him going on a holiday uh, you know after his after his uh, GCSEs and and sort of celebrating the night Ireland beat Romania in the World Cup and it, it was you know th- that kind of thing you know th- there was a lot more that I had that that I would have loved to put in a book, but I think you've, you've got to realise that it's um, yeah there's there's a limit to it. But I think also if his four years as a professional footballer had to be covered in such detail that they kind of were that middle chunk of the book I think you couldn't just sort of skirt over the final periods of his, his life in, in a 
in in a really kind of slapdash fashion. I think I think all you know the the more detail from that I could get from that time, the better. Even though it was a fairly quiet life at times, you know, the idea of him just having a job for a few months in a what was it like a home bakery, um, you know, just tracking down that person who employed him there, tracking down a person that sort of employed him as a panel beater in in uh, Galway. You know, that that was like a you know probably a, a 500 word chunk but I think that that kind of thing when you when you're trying to tell the story of somebody's life in detail I think that that kind of thing was was relevant and then of course there's his um his, his songs and, and, his, and his poems which I think um you can probably glean more about his life in Preston and Galway from from those in some ways so that was yeah I I, I didn't want it to be say 10 chapters about his time at Manchester United and then and then a couple of chapters on the end. I, I wanted to tell the whole story, and you know, it's a, and it's a, a you know a fascinating one in, in many ways because he lived he lived a completely different life after football. You know, totally different life. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's a, a brave decision to 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 focus on the the, the post football life, but you know, the strength of his character allows you to drive that narrative. And um, I mean, I, I remember reading the book as soon as it first came out, and I, I said to my business partner Neil, I was like this. This is going to be big. This should win the William Hill. That's my take on it as a, as a third party. But what did what did you think? Because you would have been so immersed in this world. What reaction were you expecting, and what reaction did you get? I felt like the story was so strong, and and I knew I you know I, I knew I hadn't fudged it in terms of the research, and and you know I'd taken my time. I hadn't rushed rushed the story out. I'd, I'd you know taken probably a bit too much time for. The publisher's liking, but you know, I, I you know, I, I felt like I'd, I'd done a good job on it. So it's not easy to say that, but it's, I, I felt like I tried to do the story justice, and I felt like the story was strong. So I, I, I hoped and thought that it would go really well, and, and um, you know, the the publish the, the feedback from the publisher uh, Quirkus was was really good. The feedback from David Luxton, who was my agent, that went really well, and they were the only pe- two people that had read it, and then. A couple of extracts went in the in the Times on I think the Saturday before it came out, and that, they were very very well received as well. So I was thinking, oh, yeah, hopefully hopefully it goes down goes down well. But it was, I mean, look, the, the reception. Had, you know, I, I've I've no idea how many books it sold. You know, it's, it's not 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 a life changing amount. That's that, that's that's for sure. But it's um, it's certainly every week somebody will tweet me and, and and say and perhaps more so in the summer months where people have taken taken a book on holiday with them and and um, or after christmas or whatever and they'll you know they'll 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 say something very nice about it but I've, I've considering you know as a as a football journalist when you're writing about a lot of my what i do as a football <laughs> journalist is is column columns and that you, you quite often challenge people's opinion and you you um quite often say things as a columnist that you don't that people don't really like and so a lot of the feedback on on twitter is uh very very negative from the public um and in the case of the book the feedback has been sort of relentlessly positive and you know the reviews on amazon as i said have been like really really good and and that's um it's very gratifying but i think what matters more in terms of the feedback is that his family really 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 liked it and because it was you know that they said at one stage to me during the process will we be able to have a look at it before it's published and I said look 
I just, I don't think, I, I wouldn't really be comfortable with that because, you know, I've got to tell the story properly. You know, I don't, I don't want to kind of finish writing something and then it comes back with, you know, oh, we don't, you know, I'd, 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 I'd love to, I'd love to you to be able to do a fact check, but I feel like I've checked all the facts myself. I didn't want them to see it, but I really, really wanted them to, when, it, when the finished article was sent to them, I, I wanted them to love it and be proud of it. And, and it was a bit kind of, warts and all there's you know there's stuff about you know dark periods and stuff about you know drinking and and um you know, and, and the, you know the stuff about his death is, is so hard for them to read and it's so you know, i think his, his mother has read it all now but i think she wanted to leave those parts out when she first read it and i can totally understand that but the, the the fact that the family enjoyed the book and liked it and that it's possibly you know it's touched their lives in a way that it's changed the way people in Straban and, and beyond talk about Adrian and, and it's made the the people of Straban really proud of of him and and I think Jimmy told me at one point that he got a letter um, just addressed to Adrian Doherty's family Straban <laughs> which I mean you know there must be 10 Adrian Doherty's in, in, in Straban so that the, the, that probably tells you how much the um, the story had resonated with with people. So I think that kind of feedback matters more to me. But yeah, the, the feedback has been really good, and I I don't like to think of it as my book. I think think of it as Adrian's story. And as I think I've I've said many many times, I just you know because he was such a talented guy, talented writer. I really really wish that he'd been able to write this book because it would have been incredible. And as long as he let me interview him um, around the launch time. I, th- I think I'd have, I think that would have been a, the best of all worlds. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful that his memory is enshrined in this book. Um, I just, and this is something I emailed you about yesterday. Um, as I was reading through the football sections, I just desperately craved some footage of him. And there's there's little bits and pieces when he's he's probably looks like he's maybe like a young teenager in an Irish uh, TV report. Do you hope one of these days that someone will dig something out of a vault where you see this guy age sixteen or seventeen playing for a, a Man United coach team and, and just tearing people apart? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've I've got um, I, I know a couple of people who are who played in various tournaments that he was involved in and. They they feel that, that there is some video footage somewhere. I think it was you know it was a there was a tournament in Italy when he when he the Grossi Marrera tournament when he first went there. And it, I don't think he had a great tournament. I think that was when he was struggling with homesickness. So I, I don't want that to be the the defining the defining clip either. But it was I'm I'm told that Manchester United do have a lot of this video footage of of you know those reserve team games and youth team games that, that have never that, that's never been transferred onto you know whatever um, format it needs to be on that it that is in a, in a vault somewhere and that at some point they will not you know not necessarily to do anything on Adrian but um, but just at some point that they will look in that vault and they might um, unearth something um, and I really hope they do because I mean look it's probably got to the stage now where you know his, his legend has assumed the such proportions that people might go, oh god, well, how, how can it? How can it possibly live up to that? But you know, I'm, I'm told that if I do see footage, it will be, um, it will be the balance, the bravery, the speed, the dribbling. Well, you know, you're not just sort of looking at, oh, that's a good goal. You're looking at 
those things I mentioned, the, the, the qualities, the physical and technical qualities that he had, um, and that bravery and, and the way that he would he would perform and um, yeah it would be it would be um, it would be lovely if that sort of footage emerged at some point and I think if anybody wants to sort of say well okay was he really that good I think you just have to look at the testimonies from from those who have spoken to him which in, about him which include Sir Alex Ferguson who I thought had an axe to grind with the family but he did, he makes no attempt to conceal how good a talent Adrian was and also what Ferguson and, and others such as Paddy Crerand and, 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 and the coaching staff said about Adrian at the time you know back in 1989 1991 that he was sort of off the scale as a, as a 16 17 year old and we'll never know whether injury free he would have had the kind of um, breakthrough that we like to believe he would have had but yeah I, I think um I think from everything I'm told about his talent and his on-pitch mentality, he would have done. And it's that, yeah. and it's that off-pitch mentality and off-pitch personality which raises a question mark about what his longer-term prospects would have been. But to me, that just makes his character and the story even more appealing. Well, we live in hope of some on-pitch footage one of these days. Uh, in the meantime, there is some uh, off-pitch footage of Adrian singing uh, All Along the Watchtower from uh, Straban back in the day. In the meantime, we've got this fantastic book to read. So, uh, Ollie, thank, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to Between the Lines. Forever Young is available everywhere now. Ollie is on Twitter at Oliver K. And if you enjoy Ollie's writing, then he is also featured in our latest book, At the End of the Storm, Stories from Liverpool's Historic Title Triumph. Finally, here's a teenage Adrian Doherty singing All Along the Watchtower to play us out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.